Welcome to Royals Review Radio. I'm the editor of Royals Review, Max Reaper. I'm filling in for our usual host, Sean Newkirk, because he has class. He's very studious, uh, hitting the books. So I'm going to fill in for him today, but he'll be back before you know it, uh, once he's done with that degree. Joining me today uh, is Matthew Lamar. You know him as one of our lead writers and kind of a, our deputy manager. Matthew, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, it's It's been a decent Monday, despite, you know, the time changing, which should be illegal. Oh, man, it just totally <laughs> threw my kids. I'm like, daylight savings time is just, it's bad enough when you're, like, just a normal person. But when you have kids, like, it just oh, throws yeah. them completely. Like, our kids were up till midnight last night, and they just slept oh, in. No. It was just, it's ridiculous. Luckily, we're on spring break, but um, it's, it's, uh, it's, right. it's, it's so stupid. Uh, the other voice you hear is another one of our featured writers, Hokius, uh, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. You're in the Eastern Time Zone, is that correct? So you, uh, yep. So you, uh, it's still a state that adheres to daylight savings, because some, oh, sta- some of the states are getting rid of it. Not enough of them. <laughs> keep working. Keep working on that. Yeah, work on the work on the laws that really impact the the regular people there. And uh, finally, also joining us for the first time, I believe, is uh, Patrick Brennan. Uh, you can read him. Uh, not only at Royals Review, but over at Royals Farm Report, uh, where they do a great job covering prospects and other things uh, involving the Royals. Patrick, how are you doing tonight? Good. Also adjusting to the time change. So it was it was bright out at six o'clock that threw me off. Yeah, and, and what's nice, at least, of the weather was kind of nice that we can actually go outside and enjoy the enjoy the sun for a little bit. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, some other guys are enjoying the sun, or our boys in blue down in Arizona. They're in spring training now. Uh, they've been at it for a couple of weeks now, which is not typically the time teams make transactions, but the Royals have made a flurry of moves here in the last week or so, signing Mike uh, Moustakis to a one-year deal, John Jay, outfielder John Jay, to a one-year deal, and they also signed pitcher Ricky Nolasco to a, a minor league deal. We'll start with Moose first, because I think that was the most surprising one. But Matthew, what was kind of your initial response to the Mustaka signing? And, and uh, I mean, was it kind of something that totally came out of the blue for you? Well, it didn't really surprise me because, uh, you know, of the three the three big uh, players that were becoming free agents, I'm sorry, LCDs, I don't. I don't uh, qualify you as one of the big players. Uh, but of Lorenzo Cain, uh, Eric Osmer, or Mike Moustakis, I feel like the only way that they were going to get one of them is if they sort of fell into their laps. Um, and in the case of Moose, it did. The market just never materialized for him. Um, and they got him for like an absurdly cheap price that even if you disagree with the Royals, um, you know, not playing enough of their young guys – um, like it's so cheap that you're just like, eh, okay, he's a you know he's a franchise hero, um, you know it, it from a pure baseball standpoint, you know it was a good deal. He is almost certainly going to be worth more than the six and a half million he's guaranteed over the you know the year. Um, the only issue I think is if you think that the Royals shouldn't have done that at all and should have just played their young guys. Um, but I mean, like it's it's hard to not be happy as just as a fan to see more of, uh, you know, your favorite players, uh, and I'm sure everybody who isn't as well versed in the specificities of uh, rebuilding teams, uh, they're all pretty happy about it too. You know, the average fan. So yeah, I mean the poll- uh, the polling on our side I think was like 95 percent were in favor of the signing, and yeah, Twitter 
Royals Twitter seemed to be very, very enthusiastic about the move. So I think most most mainstream fans are or were pretty gave the thumbs up for sure. <laughs> Uh, but, right. And it was like, it wasn't like it was like 10 or $12 million. It was six and a half million dollars. Right. It's like almost impossible to dislike it. Yeah. Um, just kind of stakes for Moose, who thought he would be getting a lot more, but you know, he's still a millionaire. So. Well, I, uh, Patrick, I think you on Twitter expressed a, maybe a little more hesitation with the signing. Uh, did, did, I mean, do you have concerns about the signing or do you think that it, it'll, it'll end up working out all right for the Royals? Um, like Matt said, 6.5 million, it's hard to get mad at that, but you know, I, I was actually, I'm, I've never been big on Chester Cuthbert, but I was kind of fairly excited or at least intrigued to see him get, you know, 500 PAs this year, but uh, that will probably end up happening now with the Bonifacio suspension, but 6.5 million, that's nothing. Um, any other year, Moustakis isn't getting anywhere close, close to that. So, um, Overall, I'm, I don't, yeah, I'm okay with the signing, but yeah, the Cuthbert thing, I wanted to see him play, but he will end up playing now. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of interesting. They, I mean, it seems like they finally got a kind of gotten settled on. Okay, we are doing a rebuild, uh, and then it's almost like Dayton Moore looked at the roster and said, "You know what? I just can't help myself. I need to improve this roster. I have these these guys are out there that could be had on one year deals," and he felt like. He had to do what he what he had to do to to field the best possible team. Uh, Hokius, I don't know. Does that still does that affect the rebuild though? It seems like that if you're going to do like a well, full style Astros rebuild, that's not this is not these aren't the kind of moves you would do. Yeah, and I don't, I'm not sure anybody ever actually expected us to do. I say us, uh, them, to do a full Astros-style rebuild because Dayton Moore has always, always, always said that he wants to put a competitive product on the field. It's always been his, he's made these weird signings in the past, the Jose Guillens, the, um, the Unieski Betancourts, because he thinks they can help the team win. And he thinks he can win and rebuild at the same time. And so it's, it's been a little, a little bit weird um, because it kind of, he was kind of seemed to be leaning towards this idea that maybe he would do a real rebuild and at least, you know, maybe they wouldn't try to, to lose. They wouldn't trade off the Danny Teffies, the Salvador Perez, the Whit Merrifield, but they wouldn't, they would let all the young guys play. And then all of a sudden all these deals come at us and um, I'm not sure it affects the rebuild that much because who was going to play in center field? Paulo Orlando. Well, he's not part of the rebuild. If you're going to play uh, at first base, you're pro- they were talking about Hunter Dozier. Well, Hunter Dozier's never played first base. So I kind of worried that that was going to be a big problem for him, uh, trying to learn first base at the major league level. At the same time, he's trying to learn how to hit major league pitching. That seemed like an awful lot to ask of him. And Chester Cuthbert, I, I, I'm not sure that, uh, that we need to see that much more of him to know what he is. Um, I do think it's a good thing that he's going to get some at bats um, without Bonifacio being around, but I don't think it's a terrible thing that they're going to be as primarily as a DH because I just don't think he's he's got what it takes to play third base to, well enough to stick over there right now. And just to uh, inject here, Bonifacio was suspended 80 games uh, for uh, horse steroids, basically. Yeah, I was reading it's, it's that's one of the dumber performance enhancing drugs you can take because it stays in your system forever. 
not forever, but like for several months, and it's one of the most easily detected uh, drugs. Nonetheless, it has nabbed quite a not a you know a couple of players in the last year. Uh, I think they're all Dominican players, so I don't know if there's you know trainers or uh, you know doctors down there that are maybe less regulated or less uh, uh, ethical uh, that are providing uh, these horse steroids to uh, Latin American players. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that was, that's, it was pretty boneheaded from Jorge Bonifacio. Um, so yeah. And that's, that's pretty disappointing. I guess if you want to segue into that real quick, uh, Patrick, does him getting nabbed for performance enhancing drugs? First of all, does that cast any doubt as to what he did last year? And do you think, how do you, how do you think that impacts his development as a player? Um, I think with these things, it's a case-by-case thing. You can't really say, make a prediction or anything of how that, maybe how he would perform if he wasn't taking it or vice versa. And he's a young guy too. So, and, and, you know, I guess you can kind of, you're still allowed to, I think, go to the minors for a little bit and rehab. I I remember that's what Montessi did for a little bit. Um, But that's still, you know, three months, he's going to be out of action three months of the Royals don't get to see what he can do. I mean, Matthew, for like a rebuild, a team that's kind of rebuilding, that's a, it seems like that's kind of a blow for one of your young hitters that, that was kind of promising last year. Yeah, I think, and if you were, other than Mondesi, um, I think Bonifacio is like the one guy who'd be like really one of the players who could stick around and be good for the Royals. Um, you know, the next time around, you know, be in his late 20s at that point. Um, and also he was pretty good last year. You know, he held his own. He was okay defender. Um, you know, as far as non-premier Royals rookies, he did quite well. So I think it stinks that it's him specifically, um, you know, that happened to just sort of like re- the rebuilding early 2000s Royals luck just striking again, um, <laughs> I guess. Uh, the baseball gods can smell when the Royals are rebuilding and know when to screw them over. Yeah, it, it could kind of clear up some roster log jams. Um, I mean, it certainly it probably allows Jorge Soler to play. Well, allows. We're going to see Jorge Soler try to play right field more this year, which opens up DH, which maybe opens up some playing time for Chesler Cuthbert. Uh, Hokies, how do you see this this roster kind of shaking out now that now the Bonifacio's uh, suspended, and we have uh, John Jay, Lucas Duda, and Mike Moustakas in camp. Well, the lineup looks pretty set now. There was a lot of uh, position battles early on, or at least it seemed like there might be, but um, especially given the uh, the injury to Mondesi, um, I think that pretty much ends his bid for the fighting for uh, Whit Merrifield's job at second base. Plus, where Witt would have most likely gone is center field, and now John Jay is out there. Um, so I think you're looking you're looking at your lineup. You got Salvador Perez, you got Lucas Duda, Whit Merrifield, Mike Mustakis, Alcides Escobar, Gordon Jay, and Soler, and then your DH is still kind of iffy, but that's almost certainly going to be Cuthbert more often than not, I would think. So the lineup set. Um, the the big question is still on the pitching side. Yeah, and on the pitching side, uh, Bob Nightingale tweeted out today from USA Today. He uh, he said the Royals are still in the market for a starting pitcher or reliever. Matthew, would you do you anticipate Dayton Morris going out there and finding another arm or two, or do you think they're they're pretty much done? 
Well, I think they're they're pretty set as far as starting um, pitchers. Their bullpen is, for the first time in a long time, though, kind of a mess. Um, I mean, because you've got uh, Herrera and you've got Maurer, and then what? Um, so probably if they do anything, you know, some sort of relief arm, um, you know, but their their starting pitching is actually pretty set. You know, they've got Duffy, Hamill, um, uh, they've got Junis, uh, Carnes is coming back, Kennedy's still there. So their starting pitching is pretty set. If not, uh, you know, if, if it's not going to be very good, which I don't think it will be, it's at least set. Um, but the relief core is uh, far cry from the HGH, you know, death back into the bullpen kind of thing. Um, so that'll that'll be interesting. Maybe we'll see more of Brian Flynn. Um, you know, lot, lots lots of different ways that they could go. Um, but at this point in the off season, I wouldn't expect lots of different moves. You know, for the for the bullpen, maybe one. I don't know. Maybe someone random like Mark Chupsinski or some other nondescript veteran. But yeah, that's. I don't think there's going to be much movement going on. I hope they do sign him because can you imagine HUD trying to pronounce his name? <laughs> his yacht? Fun times. Fun that would times. be, yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah. I saw. I can't remember who it was. It was one of one of the Royals review people was saying that um, they should look at Trevor Cahill because uh, he might be had on a minor league deal, and if he's healthy now, because he was probably hurt when the Royals got him. If he's healthy now, he might be worth something i think sean may have suggested that and uh i think that there probably is um that that sounds like a good idea except man he would just get booed so bad on opening day my my immediately my immediate response was i hope they do that because of the social media just meltdown that would happen immediately (laughs) yeah um yeah that would be an interesting signing uh but i mean it's interesting like a lot of the values on the free agent market right now not a, there's not a lot of relief pitchers out there left. I mean, they they got snatched up really quickly in the offseason where it was the sluggers like Moustakas and stole some good starting pitchers out there like Alex Cobb who uh, and Greg Holland still out there who Matthew advocated the Royals uh, should should perhaps go go after on a one-year deal. So, um, yeah, there, there could be some interesting signings out there. I mean, looking at the roster right now, I mean, they did add Moose. They did add Lucas Duda, who I guess we haven't really talked about uh, – that much, but um, you know, pretty seemed like a pretty solid signing for what was out there. They added John Jay, who, for you know, for the Royals, that's a terrific on base guy to pick up for the top of the lineup. <laughs> um, big drop off from Lorenzo Kane as far as overall quality, but um, certainly a better on base percentage than, than what they've been putting up there. Uh, looking at the roster now, and I kind of asked the question today: Are the Royals better than they were last year? And I, I don't think they are, but. I mean, compared to last year, how how would you are do you feel better about their chances of competing? I guess we'll start with you, Matthew. Like, are they a better? Maybe they are a better team, but do you feel better about their chances than than you did before? So I I think uh, the question to are they a better team than last year is no, but the question of could they have a better record than last year? I think they could um, if they get a couple of bounces their way. Um, they could have a better, you know, team than last year by a couple of wins. I don't think it's out of the question that, because Moose is back, um, say he, you know, because last year he was uh, recovering from major knee surgery. Uh, it was his first year back from that. Um, so maybe he gets another step 
um, and is better defensively and on the base paths, um, and then, you know, approximates his offensive production. You know, uh, he's probably better than he was last year. It's hard for Alex Gordon to get much more than he was last year. You know, uh, Lucas Duda um, is like a poor man's Eric Hosmer um, in terms of raw skills, so he could approximate what Eric Hosmer did, you know, kind of. Um, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, re- replicating Lorenzo Cain, but you know, John Jay, yeah, could be a decent, decent guy in terms of on base percentage. Um, and you know, they, they could get more, uh, impact from Nate Carnes, who was good last year. And, um, yeah, you know, Duffy who was injured a little bit could be a little better. There are a lot of little ways that the Royals could be better, that it would not be surprise me, if they were a better team in the record departments next year. However, they also have a much, much lower floor than last year's team does. Um, so this team, I mean, for all of the, the reasons that I said, none of those things could happen and they could lose, you know, 95 games. Um, so it's certainly more volatile. But I think what's interesting about this Moose signing, along with a couple of other things like Duda and stuff, if the Royals if some things bounced um, right for them, they could be a better team record wise than last year. And maybe even like compete for a wild card spot, probably not get it, but maybe compete for it. Um, Which is not something that you would have thought the Royals were going to do at the beginning of the off season. So um, it's sort of a really very interesting off season. I think Um, nobody would have predicted it to go how it did. Um, and they've sort of set themselves up well enough that they could maybe, you know, luck into a 2003-esque kind of season. So we'll see. I'm, I'm for multiple reasons, uh, I'm interested to watch this, uh, the team when baseball actually starts for realsies. Hocus, are you, uh, are you ready for the Plaza Parade yet, or are you holding off a little bit? I'm, I'm holding off a little bit. The... The funny thing to me is that my first thought when I look at this roster is if everybody stays healthy, <laughs> they can they can totally compete. But then you look at you had that article today where you were talking about the the injuries. You mentioned the injury stuff um, last year, and they weren't they weren't hurt all that often. And I had the article last year where everyone said, "Oh, they were hurt in 2016," and and pointed out they weren't hurt that much. <laughs> um, so it just it feels like more, I guess, because they're our guys. But um, if everybody, if they have like a 2013, 2014 health where nobody gets hurt all year long, I think they could really compete. They're certainly uh, more likely to compete now with the roster they have than they were, uh, you know, two, three weeks ago before they did all these signings. Yeah, and I think the season, I mean, there's a lot of the guys on the roster right now, you kind of know what you're going to get. You're, you, you know, Salvi is a low on brace percentage, pretty good defensive catcher who's going to hit 20, 25 home runs. Uh, you know, Alcides Escobar is what he is. He's not a very good hitter, but he can provide pretty. He's going to be much defense. more patient this year. That's that's the word on the street from Jeffrey Flanagan. Yes, <laughs> and it's legit <laughs> this year. Um, yes. You know, I, yeah, a lot of these players are at the age now where you kind of know what you're going to get. So I think I feel like the season is going to depend a lot on the younger players. And Patrick, I know you have a better idea, a better sense on you know what the Royals have coming up through the system and and what they can rely on. I mean, are there are there players you think? young players either on the roster or about, you know, maybe that can come up mid season that you think can make an impact or are we still kind of a year or two away from having impact 
you know, young players uh, making a difference on this roster? You'll probably need something like, you know, Cuthbert in 2016 and Bonifacio last year. Um, I guess that would come at DH maybe, but maybe if someone like Dozier gets off to a hard start at mm-hmm. AAA and comes up, or like O'Hearn, um, Starling can man center, he still is healthy. Um, other than that, there just seems no one particularly close to the big league level. Um, Dewey's maybe could come up, I guess, if I'm assuming he starts in AAA. Looking at the roster here. Maybe if he gets up to a hot start and then you, they have a need in center, he could come up. But not nothing particularly can make a huge impact. Yeah, and I still look at the roster. I, I don't know. I guess I'm a lot more pessimistic than you, Matthew. Like, I just... I still see a team that's probably around 90 losses. And I know a lot of people say like, well, I remember the 2007 team and you know, that team had a horrible, horrible pitching and, uh, and you know, we have nowhere near the, the pitching that bad. I think that's probably true, but our lineup is just, I don't know. I don't, I just still don't see it being very good. Even with Duda, even with Moustakas, Um I, I, you know, I, I saw that we're not projected to have anyone be a three win player, which only one team in baseball, had no three win players last year, the the San Diego Padres. So I, I just don't see, I don't see a lot of, uh, you know, high impact players on this roster. I see a lot of guys that are due for, for some regression, like Moustakas and, uh, you know, uh, probably Danny Duffy a little bit. Uh, so I don't know. I, hopefully I'm wrong. I, I would love to be wrong. I, I, I think this team is probably trying to kind of half-ass a rebuild again by, having, you know, signing guys, signing veterans and blocking, like like Patrick said, blocking uh, guys like Hunter Dozier or Chester Cuthbert um, and, you know, maybe even Bubba Starling. If he gets off to a good season, you know, where is he going to play? He's not going to get a chance to play in the big leagues. Um, you know, and these guys aren't like super-duper prospects or anything, but when you're at this, at this point of the success cycle, I feel like you need to see what these guys can do at least because – out of all of them, maybe one or two of them ends up being kind of something you can you can have at least a, a position player you can have at, at, at a low low price for the next five or six years. And for a small market team, I think that's that's a pretty big deal. So I don't know. Uh, I guess the one saving grace is there are so many teams tanking that the Royals could be kind of mediocre, but they get to play so many bad teams that they can kind of beat up on those teams. And it's been a, it's been a weird offseason, Matthew. I think you kind of alluded to it. Mustaka signs for six and a half million dollars. John Jay gets three million. We saw Jake Arrieta just got seventy-five million dollars from the Phillies, which is like half of what some people thought he would get. Um, are you calling shenanigans on this offseason? Do you think teams are just getting smarter about free agent contracts? Uh, what's going on with this crazy offseason? Well, uh, first thing, I don't think it's likely that the Royals competes. But I, I think like they, they could. Their, their moves have sort of made it such that they've put themselves in a spot where if they stay healthy and everything goes pretty okay, that they could do surprisingly well. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, as far as the offseason, for the longest time, I thought there was, there was collusion between the owners because of just how severe everything was being affected. But eventually people started signing, you know, for less money, but they started signing multi-year deals. And I think, you know, the biggest, um, you know, evidence that there wasn't 
probably collusion to the to the degree that we you know pontificated on was Hera Cosmer getting you know 140 million dollars. If there's collusion, that that doesn't happen, you know. And Lorenzo Kane uh, got a pretty good salary, uh, f- you know, compared to what people thought he was going to get. So I, I I think that the CBA, the collective bargaining agreements, basically incentivizing teams that aren't going to win not to pay players is a big deal. So you've got, you know, a third of teams who aren't even bothering to win and don't need to play pay players. Um, you know, there's no salary floor in major league baseball. So that's a big deal. Um, I think that's, that's a big part of it. I think the, the results of, um, the agreements between the union and the, and baseball have, have made it such that it's like, it is right now where teams uh, don't want to spend $200 million in 10 years on somebody who's not going to be good in six years, like Albert Pujols. Um, and they've, they've sort of learned this. And also, the uh, it doesn't behoove teams who aren't trying to win to spend money at all. So it just sort of, I just think it was sort of a perfect storm rather than collusion. Um, but it was interesting to sort of be be proven wrong after I was you know, pretty <laughs> adamant that it was collusion, which you know that's that's fine. But uh, uh, it's certainly an interesting thing. I think uh, putting a salary floor in place in place will fix a lot of this. Um, of course, that'll probably have to come with some sort of salary ceiling or a salary cap. That is. Um, but another way that, uh, and I wrote about this. Another way that the uh, baseball union could uh, negotiate is to have more money go to the players who aren't free agents. Um, so like in the NBA, you've got four years on your rookie deal rather than six in baseball. Um, so making free agents younger and therefore, therefore incentivizing teams to pay more for players who they know they're going to have for longer, more in their more productive years. I think that's smart. Um, that actually know. was proposed to um, when they had the strike or the work stoppage in 1994. Uh, it was because the owners had unilaterally imposed new rules, a new collective bargaining agreement without the players agreeing to it. And one of the proposals was to allow free agency early, a year earlier, except it would be restricted free agency. So like, mm-hmm. you know, a, a team could bid on your player, but you'd have the, you'd have the last right of refusal. Uh, and I, I think actually the Royals, the, the Red Sox signed, I think it was Mike Tom Tom Gordon maybe, uh, but they, they had ended up being nixed when when the deal was was struck by um, Sonia Sotomayor. Um, so yeah, I wonder if the owners they proposed that earlier. I wonder if they'd be up for that um, again. I will push back a little bit on what you said about collusion and support past Matthew, in saying that you know just because there have been some big deals, that doesn't necessarily mean that there hasn't been collusion. And I'm not saying that there has been collusion but collusion is you know basically just any two teams acting in concert to each other with each other right so it doesn't necessarily have to be all 30 teams are in on it now it works best if all 30 teams are in on it and you know i think in 1986 when they had collusion the judge found that all 30 teams were in on it but it could have just be four teams saying we're not going to bid on, you know, let's all agree not to bid on these. We, we're we the only teams that need third basemen. Let's not bid on these third basemen, and that'll keep the price down. Now, I'm not I don't, I'm not saying that's what happened with Moustakas. In fact, I don't think that is what happened with Moustakas. But 
you know, it, that kind of stuff could happen. Now, I think you're right. It probably is more of a perfect storm kind of thing um, where teams are just kind of being smarter about free agency. But some of the numbers are a little suspicious, like the fact that Eric Hosmer got had no offers for the entire offseason and then got two $130 million offers within half an hour of each other. <laughs> or the fact right. that all these players signed for $6.5 million in the last three weeks, uh, Moustakas, Jonathan Lucroy, and Logan Morrison. So there's, that raises some red flags. Now I'm not willing to say it could just be a stupid coincidence or maybe the reporting's wrong or whatever, but... Um, I don't know. It, there, there have been a lot of red flags raised to me, and I don't, I don't, I guess I don't understand why some people are so quick to dismiss the notion of collusion, just because you know Herrick Cosmer got 144 million dollars. Well, yeah, but Mike stock has got six and a half million. That, that's, that just doesn't seem normal in a you know a normal market that would never happen, and no one predicted that either. So, um, I don't know. Hocus, there was this kind of discussion um, around Twitter over the weekend. But do you think Scott Boris blew it with Mike Moustakis? I mean, he seems like he's getting a lot of criticism for, for you know, a player that is 29, coming off a 38 home run season, and all he got was $6.5 million. But on, their hand, on the other hand, like, I don't know if anyone saw this kind of market coming. Like, do you think Boris blew it or Mike Moustakis blew it? Or is it just, is it just this is a weird offseason? I... It's it's really hard to say. I really hesitate to just throw all of this on Boris when his other clients, Eric Hosmer, got way more money than he should have based on, you know, the advanced stats. And and Jake Arietta, uh, you know, he didn't get as much total money, but he still got uh, you know, a three year deal with an opt out after two and he's getting twenty five million annual average value. So it's not like he's exactly going broke. And uh, uh, J.D. Martinez got three different opt-outs. Um, so a lot of his other clients still got plenty of money and plenty of opportunity to make more money later. So I really hesitate to just look at Scott Boros and go, you completely have failed at your job. Uh, it really makes me think there's more um, more going on with Moustakis than just Boros is bad at his job. Um, and, and that more, it could be collusion, I'm... I was really sold on it, like like Matthew. I was really sold on it earlier in the offseason. At this point, it seems like there's too many big deals to to really buy completely into it. But um, at the same time, it seems pretty obvious that Moustakis was worth more than a one-year deal for $6.5 million. So uh, something something I've said all along, even if it isn't collusion, something weird is going on, and it could just be a perfect storm of the the compensation stuff. But it's uh, it is a little confusing to me, and I I don't think it can all just be laid at the feet of Boris. Yeah, I do think that there's just to be devil's advocate here for Mustakas. I don't think he should have gotten this, you know, giant five year deal for eighty million dollars or whatever. He's still. Um, his uh, career uh, numbers in both OPS plus and WRC plus are below average still, you know, after eight years, he's had a last, a good couple of years, you know, but uh, it's not like he has this huge long history of being, you know, a great hitter. He's, he's been a couple of different kinds of hitters in his career. Yeah. You know, he did have a major knee injury, but you're right. I think that, you know, 
Boris could have at least said, okay, maybe you're not worth $20 million a year. Maybe we can try to get you a two-year deal for $30 million or whatever. But And he didn't do that. So it's... A, it's uh, it's tricky, but I you know Moose is kind of an odd case, um, but then again, so was Hosmer, and he got paid. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. I think the Mustakas, the thing that really hurt him is this, the thing he was best at last year is probably the thing that has gone down in value the most on the market, which is hitting home runs, uh, hitting Moose dongs. So <laughs> that he kind of got hurt by you know the home runs are cheap now, and the things that are kind of valued like on base percentage, like he had one of his worst seasons. Because uh, he just started to swing at everything last year, and you know, work for him as far as home runs, but um, he's not getting on base at maybe the rate he was. On the other hand, you know, as far as like analytics, he should be a guy that like analytic teams like. And he play, he hits home runs, he plays very solid defense, uh, and he's young. He's 29, which is you know, analytic teams I think typically prefer younger guys over the 30 30 and over set. Now maybe they don't think he's worth a five year deal, but yeah, I'm surprised he didn't get. At least, at least really solid three-year deals and four-year deals, uh, and then we don't know exactly what he turned down. I mean, there was a report that he turned down a three-year, forty-five million dollar from the Angels back in uh, like November or December, but um, other people refuted that report. Boris refuted that report. The Angels refuted that report. So we don't know what was out there, but um, I don't know. It just seems like he'd be the kind of guy that would have a lot more interest. And I, I had a good discussion on Twitter, I think, with um, a couple of Royals Review readers, and they made some good points about. Uh, they're not being that many open spots, you know, like yeah. third base is kind of a tough position because it doesn't, if you move off that, you can't move to a tougher position on the defensive spectrum. And if you move to first base, you lose a lot of your, your value. Um, and I think there's a lot of validity to that, but it, it seems like in past years, teams have been willing to accommodate that. Like in the past, like I feel like five years ago, if Mustakas is on the market and, and wasn't finding much, uh, out there, I feel like some team like the um, like the Twins would have signed him and moved Miguel Sano to like first base or DH or something like that, or or like the Cardinals would have moved a guy over to first base, or maybe moved Mustakas to first base and said, you know, this is not his position, but he still he'll still be a valuable player for us and hit 25 home runs and and help us win games. Uh, and it doesn't seem like teams are are doing that as much. I guess you know like the Angels, and the Angels kind of did that in a hurt Mustak because they signed Zach Cozart and moved him to third base. Um, but I don't know. It just seems like uh, it seems like the market usually has a way of accommodating those guys. And what's really astounding to me is the, the pitching because it seems like everyone could use a starting pitcher. Uh, and yet Jake Arrieta didn't find as much of a market as maybe he thought. And Lance Lynn had to sign a one-year deal. And Alex Cobb is still out there. So I don't know. Patrick, uh, do you – I mean, this offseason I think has been pretty surprising to everyone – um, I mean, it was great that the Royals were able to take advantage of it, but, um, I mean, did it raise red flags with you? Do you think there's some kind of shenanigans going on or is this just teams getting, getting, uh, wiser? Um, you guys basically have all the points. Um, I was I, early in the off season, I was almost convinced there was some sort of collision going on, but then you see Arietta get 25 AAV Hosmer, get that huge deal. And you kind of back away from that. Um, some of the things with like Mustakis, Morrison, Lynn, um, them getting lower in contracts, which they probably would have never gotten in other years past. Um, that's kind of odd. Um, but li- like I said, I think I'm backing away from the collusion take. Um, just seems like there's been too many big deals. Kane, Arietta. 
Osmer? The the one thing that I'm kind of seeing that still almost supports collusion is is something you alluded to earlier, Max, um, with the the whole bunch of six point five million deals, um, one year deals. It's like the top tier still got paid, but the middle tier they just waited them out until they would take whatever they they could get one year deals for a lot less than everyone expected. And uh, I don't know, it might not be collusion. It could it could just be that the 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 front offices are smarter and said, well, we're not we're not going to pay the mid level guys anymore. That's just dumb. And then there's the whole how many guys are trying to win. So who even needs the mid level guys? But yeah. So Mike, here's the conspiracy theory. If I can put on my tinfoil hat that I came up with today. So we all know that next year there's a monster free agent class: Bryce Harper and uh, Manny Machado and Clay, possibly Clayton Kershaw. Uh, as well as some some other big names, Josh Donaldson's another one. Uh, so teams want to save their money for those big studs. So what they want is for the middle middle class to take to to sign low cheap deals, which they did. They had to do this off season. But they want what they wanted to do this off season is to send a message to them and say, "You better take what we we offer you, because there's not going to be anything left at the end of at the end of spring training." So what they're hoping is that they can get these guys to sign cheap. Uh, next winter so that they'll have more money left over for the big dogs. But that would require some sort of collusive activity. And I don't, like I said, it's, it's, it's hard to get all 30 teams on the same page, but if you can get, you know, a couple teams to agree not to sign a pitcher and a couple teams to agree not to sign Mike Moustakas, eh, maybe you can send a message without having to deflate the entire market. And you still, the Padres can still get their Eric Cosmer, you know, uh, you know, the Dodgers can still get you Dar or who, who signed you Darvish. Uh, was it the Dodgers? Wasn't it the Cubs? The Cubs, that's right. Cubs. Yeah, Cubs. Yeah. So I, I don't necessarily believe that theory, but that that came to my mind. Uh, Jeff Passan had a really good article today about the the future implications of this market, and he and he quoted some players saying, you know, like, man, I'm going to take like, you know, a cheap deal next year because I don't want to be st- I don't want to be moosed, is what he said. Uh, and I don't think players want to be in that that position that Mike Moustakas is because I'm sure it was very frustrating and uh, uh, not a fun off season. Not the off season he thought he was going to have this this year. So um, I guess we haven't really taken too much of a look at the competition so far. Cause like, it doesn't seem like the teams have made a whole lot of moves. The twins have started to make some moves uh, in recent weeks. And I don't know if you guys have, have kind of gotten a chance to look at the lay of the law, lay of the land as far as, you know, other teams in the American league. But uh, Matthew, like, is there, how do you see the American league right now? Is it still kind of the Astros on top? Is it's kind of the same teams we saw last year? Or is there a team you think has really improved themselves enough to get into the mix? And can the Royals, where do the Royals stand in, in, in relation to all these teams? Uh, I think that it's it's just sort of bad timing for the uh, for teams looking to break in. Because if you think of like the really good teams, um, Houston is young. Uh, they got they got plenty of space to or, you know and uh, money to spend. Uh, if not this year, the next year, you know. Um, the Cleveland Indians are a young team, um, with or without Chief Wahoo. Um, the uh, New York Yankees, um, you know, they're the stereotype of, of them is that they're you know the you know the free agent Yankees sign everyone, um, but you know they're pretty young too, and. Um, you know, the Minnesota Twins are, are not an old team, you know, um, and they, you know, made the wild card. Um, all of, so all of these teams, and then you boss Boston's Boston. They, 
you know, they're they're well run and they have oodles of money. Um, so it's just sort of there's not a vulnerable team among the teams that made the playoffs last year in the American League, you know. Um, so it's it's kind of kind of tricky. I I think that it's possible the Royals could end up in the upper, you know, fifth or sixth in the league or seventh maybe, you know, if the um, if the teams that are bad are like really bad, like you said. But it, it seems for now that the upper, you know, crust, so to speak, of the American League is pretty set because they're all young, they're all talented. Um, it's sort of built through the through the draft in the way that good teams now are. Um, so and we'll see. I think uh, you know it's kind of kind of similar, you know, in baseball as a whole too. Um, you know, the Dodgers had a great farm system that they turned into young prospects. The Cubs. You know, they have their, um, you know, Chris Bryant and Kyle Schwarber, Schwarber and everyone. Um, you know, it's that, that's just sort of how teams, uh, you know, are built. And if the Royals had started to win big in like 2012 or 2013, they would have been in that spot too. It just took them a couple more years to start winning. Whereas uh, the teams like Houston, Cleveland, Chicago started winning sooner in the, the process than the Royals. So they have a longer ways to stay at that low level of payroll. Yeah. I feel like the, the league right now is more top heavy than when the Royals won it in 2015. Like, you know, I, I think I thought that was a really good Royals team, but I didn't feel like they were as good as like the Astros and Dodgers were last year. And there, there certainly weren't as many other good teams uh, as there were, I think last year um, on the others, on the flip side, I feel like, the Royals have had had an opportunity this year to be really bad. Like if they hadn't signed anyone this year, I think they would have been, I think they would have been a pretty bad team. Like it's 95 loss team close to that at least. And I don't know if there are a whole lot of, I mean, I know there's a lot of teams tanking right now, but I don't know if there's a lot of teams that are that bad right now. Cause a lot of the teams that are tanking uh, have been tanking for a couple of years now. And they're kind of, like the Phillies are kind of on the way up again. The Braves are kind of on the way up again. The White Sox are kind of on the way up. I think the White Sox could actually be, I think, decent this year. Um, and so the teams that are on the way down would be the Royals, Royals before they sign these guys. The Tigers definitely. Um, I think I feel like the Rays are headed that way, but they still have some pretty good talent on that roster. Um, and then the Marlins. The Marlins, I think they've cleaned out that ro- the roster pretty good. Um so I, I don't know. I felt like there's an opportunity that the Royals could have been really bad and gotten a pretty high draft pick, but uh, I don't know. Hocus, like, is that is it worth pursuing that that top pick? I mean, does it really matter if the Royals pick number three or number ten? Uh, and and do, is there some value in winning, as Dayton Moore seems to constantly say? Well, in a league where you still have the Rays and the Tigers and the way that they're doing things, and the A's, uh, I think the competition is going to be pretty fierce for the number one draft pick. Um, and that doesn't even account for anybody in the NL, because I can't remember who's good and who's just terrible over there right now. Um, but that's three teams just in the AL that that are going to be fighting for that number one draft pick. So the Royals, they might... I, I kind of like the rotation, probably more than I should, so I'm not sure they were ever really in the running for the the number one draft pick, but um, 
I'm not convinced there's there's value in the wins they're going to get either. It's it's hard to say. Dayton Moore has this theory that um, how does it go? That basically, if you want to ever have a winning club, you've got to you've got to actually go after the wins. You can't ever just teach the guys. Okay, it's fine to lose right now. Yeah. So if you believe that, and I guess you can see something in that theory. Uh, then it makes more sense to uh, to try and win right now, at least a little bit. Especially since, as I was saying, it's going to be really hard to get the best draft picks anyway. And this is supposed to be a deep draft. From everything I've heard, uh, the the draft goes really deep, so it may not matter that much uh, in the end. Well, I guess that's next year's draft. It will apply to. So never mind that th- that point. Uh. Yeah, I don't know. It I, it would be really hard to get the high draft pick anyway. And the team is going to be a lot... Uh, I know for my sake, the team is going to be a lot more interesting to write about with Duda, Jay, and Moustakis than it would have been without them. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And I, I know Dayton Moore, a couple weeks ago, he said something like, um, you know, you could argue that the way they did before with signing guys like Jose Guillen and Gilmesh, maybe that wasn't the right way to do it. So that made me think... They were going to do a full rebuild, but I think what he meant was that they weren't going to sign guys to, to multi-year deals. And so you can kind of see him, you know, signing the one-year deals. I mean, what's the old adage? There's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. Uh, you know, winning some games in the short term without really sacrificing the long term uh, by signing these guys to short one-year deals. Uh, I can see that making some sense. And, and hey, it's, it's, it's spring. It's March. It's spring training. So hope springs eternal. It's a time to be optimistic. <laughs> You know, everyone looks good in camp. Um, everyone's in the best shape of their life. Um, you know, Patrick, we, you know, I think for teams like the Royals, we need to rely on the young players that come up through the system. And I know the, the Royals farm system has been much maligned. Uh, I think pretty much everyone has them as one of the worst five farm systems in baseball. But, um, you know, bad farm systems can still produce kind of surprising players. Uh, even though the Royals don't have any top 100 prospects, they still produced – Jacob Junis and Whit Merrifield and Jorge Bonifacio, who seem like at least solid contributors in the short term. Um, are there any players in camp you think have kind of impressed um, or that maybe we should keep our eye out for that you think are kind of sleepers uh, for the future that, that even though they aren't a top 100 prospect list, maybe could be the next Whit Merrifield or the next uh, Jacob Junis? Um, one guy that's impressed me during this spring um, Pretty sure he just got done throwing an inning as we're recording this. They're live. Um, Miguel Amate, um, he's thrown seven shout-out innings this spring. Um, six strikeouts, no walks, three hits. Um, I really like I'm, – I'm, I'm intrigued by him. He has a bullpen possibility. And he could be kind of a dark horse to make the roster. Um, uh, I would imagine he spends a decent amount of time some point on the roster if he's healthy. Um, he's been the guy that's impressed me. Um, trying to look here. Uh, I feel like they have a couple. Uh, I'm sorry, but I feel like they kind of have a couple, a couple options in that bullpen where you could see some like rookies come up and be pretty solid guys. The Almonte definitely has that electric arm. Is there a, who else are you going to say? Um, Richard Lovelady. He pitched. He's pitched two games now in spring, and he's looked pretty good. Um, 
and he he probably has like maybe one of the higher ceilings out of any player in the Royal system. If he reaches his full potential, he has like laid in his stuff. Um, maybe someone like, uh, Trevor Oaks. He, uh, I think his floor is pretty high. He could be, he's, he's a good bet to end up as like maybe like a four or five and he could be a decent bullpen arm too. Yeah. I like Oaks a lot. Um, I like his chances to get some starts this year. And, uh, as far as love lady goes, I think, just to kind of tease Sean Newkirk's prospect list, which is coming out uh, probably in the next couple of weeks, um, I think people will be maybe a little surprised at where he ranks <laughs> uh, Love Lady. But yeah, and I, like I said, I think there's a couple of guys. You know, we we talked about the bullpen being kind of a mess, or at least uncertain at this point. Uh, Rustin Dodd has at the Athletic has a uh, has a good article about that right now. But uh, it seems like they've got some guys that could be. That are that are in the, that were in the minors last year, like Almonte and Lovelady, uh, Kevin Lennick is another name I've heard a lot. That I think Flanagan's mentioned him as a dark horse. Tim Hill, the left-handed submariner, is a name that um, uh-huh. people mention a lot as a guy that could make the roster. So, uh, you know, there's some names that, that they could have. Scott Barlow's another guy. Is that he's the the Dodgers? Was in the Dodgers system last year. We signed him as a free agent, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's some there's some uh, interesting arms there, and you know, Dayton Moore has done a good job putting together bullpens kind of with just duct tape and WD-40. So maybe uh, maybe he guys got some magic left. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, let's we kind of wrap things up a little bit. Uh, with uh, We want to talk a little bit about the Royals' uh, social media celebrating the 50th <laughs> season of Royals baseball by unveiling the top 50 Royals of all time. And the list has not come with some con- without some controversy. Um, some of the rankings, I think, have um, confused people, and it's all been fan fan voted on. So, I mean, I don't think you know this isn't like Lee Judge or someone making bad selections <laughs> or anything like that. But uh, do you guys have thoughts on the top fifty list and what the most maybe some of the more egregious selections? I guess we can start with uh, Jeremy. You're Hookies. You're, you're laughing. So, um, what are some of your what are some of the most egregious uh, selections. I, I think the first of the one we had to mention, Zach Greinke, is what number twenty six. I want to say. Yeah. Thirty six. Thirty six. Yeah. He was thirty six. Thirty six. No yeah. Way. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's a travesty. Just ahead of Billy Butler, and behind <laughs> David. <laughs> so Zach Greinke, so, who by the way has won one of the three, I think, Cy Youngs in franchise history. Yeah. The only one not named, you know, by someone not named Brett Saberhagen, was the 36th best player in Royals history. <laughs> okay, no, c- please continue. So, obviously, I I have some thoughts on this because I've started this series where I'm ranking them uh, the top 50 Royals of all time by their their WAR, their wins above replacement. But um, the the one that really stands out to me even more than Granky is Kevin Apier at number 21. Oh yeah, he. I I don't want to give spoilers for the for the series, but he's he's a lot higher than that. If you go by wins above replacement, <laughs> a lot higher. Um, <laughs> and the the other one that gets me is Gerard Dyson comes in at number fifty. And the the thing that cracks me up about that one is uh, is a lot of people are like, what is Gerard Dyson even doing on this list? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sam Sam Mellinger uh, was in his Mellinger minutes or Mellinger I never pronounce it right 
um, in his in his minutes article was talk. Somebody asked him about the top fifty, and he, and he says, "Yeah, well, that's a joke, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm with you." And then he says, "Gerard Dyson doesn't belong in there." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Oh, Sam thought so, Dyson yeah. didn't belong in there. Yeah, he says oh, he's, wow. he's only ever a part time player, so he doesn't he doesn't belong on the the top fifty Royals of all time. Huh. And and Gerard Dyson as only a part time player had as much wins above replacement as a starter as an above average starter for five straight years playing it's like, part time. It's like fourth all time in baseball modern baseball history in stolen base percentage. <laughs> like like I I get he's a part time player, but okay. Well that's interesting. Um yeah. Matthew, Alcides Escobar, number twenty seven. <laughs> Go. Well, I kind of get that. He's had some moments of playoff inspiration. Uh, you know, he won, what was it, the uh, ALCS MVP in uh, 15? Was yep. that was that it? Yep. That's what he did. He yeah, like I mean, like, that series. yeah, he hit a leadoff home run, a hilarious in-the-park leadoff home run in the World Series. You know, like, he's been shortstop for a long time. In terms of, like, a fan voting list... You know that that's fine. I I I'm not like that torn up about that because he he was a part of the World Champion Royals in 15 and the American League Championship Royals in 14. And he's in, it's not like he's like in the top 20. Um, and he's played a lot of games for Kansas City. So you know if you want to give him credit for that, you fine. I don't I don't agree with it, but I I kind of see where you're coming from. Um, but I I just have to I just have to stop. Uh, is that Granky should at least be in the top fifteen, maybe in the top ten? Yeah, no, think... definitely in the top ten. Especially yeah. you consider what his non-presence um, meant for the Royals. They got Escobar and Kane out of Granky, so for that alone, he should go <laughs> up twenty spots. And then, of course, he is the player who. Um, basically made me the baseball fan that I am today is I, you know, I read Poznanski's uh, article, you know, why the Royals are going to win the, uh, um, the, the ale central in 2009, which is, you know, first of all, a mistake. They were very bad, but I, I read it and I was like, you know what? I, let's, let's watch this. And Zach Granke being just so good for so long. I mean, he had an ERA of zero for like nine starts or something ridiculous like that, that year. It was it was something special. Like every time he went up to the mound, you know you were going to see something that was special. And every every time it happened, and players like that don't come around very often. And we ha- still haven't seen a pitcher other than maybe Wade Davis or Greg Holland since who who could do that. So yeah, I I, I know you asked about Escobar, but I'm I'm really really angry that Zach Greinke is not like you know I don't know eighth. <laughs> Yeah, I do kind of get the Escobar thing. He was part of a lot of big moments, and he won a gold glove and, and that. I'm just looking at some of these other selections. Like, I I should uh, clarify that uh, there have actually been four Cy Youngs won in Kansas City history, one of them by David Cohn, who is number 35 oh, yes. on this list, and who only pitched here a couple of seasons, but so did Jordana Ventura, and Jordana Ventura, never won a Cy Young, is one spot ahead of him. Now that is, I, I get, totally get that. Nostalgia. And a lot of good memories with Giordano. Uh, Jermaine Dye, 44, right behind Kelvin Herrera. Dye was a starter in the All-Star game. Um, and a very good hitter for a number of years. And Kelvin Herrera 
was a solid middle middle reliever. So um, <laughs> Steve Steve Balboni, number twenty six. Uh, he had the franchise home run record, I guess, um, and a pretty that sweet, stood forever, and a pretty sweet mustache, and yeah, he looked like a uh, uh, Dennis Franz for a number of years. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, it, these are obviously there's a lot of recency bias here. You know, Danny Duffy at number thirty nine, which if you're talking about or number thirty eight, which if you're talking about like likability, sure. Uh, but as far as like baseball talent, um, I don't know if I'd have him in the top thirty eight. Uh, Danny Tartable, forty one, who I feel like I always feel like he's one of the most underrated players in franchise history, partly because he was a terrible defender and partly because he wasn't all that likable of a guy. But man, he could he could really rake in his in his heyday. So I don't know. I, we probably shouldn't harp on these too much. I don't know, Patrick. Are there any any egregious uh, Royals rankings there? And who do you think is going to be number one? <laughs> <laughs> well, you hit up on most of them. The one that really stood on me was Balboni at twenty six. I mean, I like I get why he's there, but yikes. <laughs> Should I put him at 36? Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> regardless of <laughs> what the fans perfect. have voted, for, they should have just overruled and put him at 36. For a while, I kind of thought they weren't ranking them. That was just a, that there was a correlation because Gerard Dyson was 50th and he was a 50th round pick. And I thought they maybe they're doing something where like that, that that's not his ranking. But then uh, someone else said that it was a ranking. And I think they, the tweet, the Twitter page kind of said, yeah, this is a ranking. So I don't know. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense to me, but uh I guess I'm 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 kind of eager to see how it ends up, just because, uh, you know, I was doing that top 100 list that took 10 years to do, and Hokies is doing his his list by wins above replacement, which I'm kind of interested in seeing how that ends up, and how that correlates to uh, their list. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been kind of fun to, to mock at. I mean, yeah, Mellinger even went, laughed at the Granky thing and said just just throw the list out at this point because it's uh it's getting ridiculous, but. Uh, the Granky thing is just even more ridiculous to me because the next three guys, Cone, Busby, Ventura, none of them pitched as long as, <laughs> I, I even pitched as long as he did. Right. Much less as good as he did. Yeah. But he has to be traded. All so. All I'm saying is if Willie Bloomkist isn't number one, the, the list is just wrong. I. I want to Willie Bloomkist number one. I have this sneaking suspicion that Eric Hosmer is going to finally dethrone George Brett as the number one most important royal. <laughs> no, because he left. If he had stayed, yes. But the vote I think was right. before he left. Oh, that's right. You're right. He he could have – yeah, he could be there. It's going to be George, but I could see Hosmer being number two, which would be ridiculous. But... They're one and two, whatever, whatever ends up, which one of them is where. <laughs> Uh, this is kind of talked about a little bit on our kind of internal uh, discussion page, but uh, we talked about likable was it likable bad royals? Like, who are some of your your favorite? Oh, yeah. If you had to do a ranking top fifty ranking of some of your favorite bad royals, uh, who would you choose? And I think I threw out Mitch Meyer. That seems like he's our he's like our our site mascot. <laughs> <laughs> I would have to go with Brian Bannister. Yeah, Banny. definitely. Who was he was really good? What his rookie year, I think, and then just kind of fell off yeah. after that. Yeah, yep. you know, Brian Bannister beat Steven Strasburg in his first uh, his first match, or not not match. What is this? Is not soccer. <laughs> but in, in, Stras, in Strasburg's first starts, Bannister got the win and Strasburg got the loss, and I that's just so tickles me so much because Bannister is just like a, a great you know nice guy, but he's like 
in the footnote of baseball history, and Strasburg's been a very good pitcher for his entire career. So hey, Ronelvis Hernandez you know. beat Felix Hernandez once. We had a whole article about it. It was it was amazing. <laughs> uh, Patrick, do you have any favorite bad Royals? Um, off the top of my head, um, Mitch Meyer. Mitch Meyer, yep. Maybe someone like uh, Tony Pena Jr. Um, Gathright. <laughs> Joey Gathright. One, one of the best opening day debuts ever was Tony Pena Jr. with the two triples against the Red Sox and Kurt oh. Schilling. Uh, Just- I have a feeling that Paulo it does par- will Paulo Paulo Orlando qualify if he like is really bad this year and never plays another game. Well, he'll probably be on the top fifty Royals list on the Twitter page. <laughs> so, I don't think he can make both lists. Uh, I'm a little more old, older school, so I'll, I'll throw out a couple names for the older crowd. Uh, when I was a kid, utility infielder Rico Rossi was like, he was like a running joke <laughs> in my house. Like my dad and I just loved yelling his name, Rico Rossi. Uh, so, and he was, he was terrible. Uh, but, and like, I think they kept him on, I think I'm, I'm not even kidding. I think they, he, they just kept him on the roster for a while because he was the interpreter for Hippolyto Pichardo because they didn't have an interpreter and he's the only one that was bilingual. So for that, I, he, I found him very endearing. And then the other one is a uh, reliever, Rusty Meacham, who was like a really kind of oddball side armor who I thought could have been better if they'd given him more of a chance. Uh, but he, he spent a couple years at the club, but uh, like he was the guy, we always sat in right field GA when I was a kid. And he was the guy that would always pick up the hose when it was like hundred degrees in July and start spraying people down. So I always, I always loved him for that. I thought that was pretty cool. He always seemed like he loved just being in the big league. So I like guys like that. Mitch Myers, I think he kind of carried that mantle for a while. Just seemed like a guy that just loved being in the big league. So I appreciate guys that just that are like that and just willing to do whatever it takes to win a game, even if it means pitching or or whatever you need him to do. So yeah. So I don't. We may have an article on that on the the most lovable bad Royals coming pretty soon and. And uh, maybe maybe people will be as outraged with that list as uh, people are with the Royals' top 50 of all time. So <laughs> we'll see. I'm gonna have to go with Willie Bloomquist. Oh yeah, Willie Bloomquist. Bloomy. Yeah, Bloomy was, was, was pretty well beloved when he was here for a while. I I remember, and this is when I was again in like the infancy stages of of baseball fandom before I even knew what a war was or an, a FIP or, you know, whatever. I remember typing on a Facebook message board uh, of, like, Royals fans or something. I said, uh, I don't know why I still remember this, but I said, Willie, Willie Bloomquist should start at shortstop every day because he brings energy to the club. <laughs> <laughs> this is me at, like, age 18. I have no idea. And somebody was like, I, somebody else uh, later was like, um, I was arguing that some pitcher was good because of his ERA, and I said it was like the best stat that one could possibly use, and I didn't even know that there were other ones. It was it was a good good time. Good were you, time. A, were, you, yes. an, were we, you an intern for Lee Judge at that time, or? Um, uh, you know, maybe that was a recruiting uh, site for <laughs> were you. Judge. The, you were the Jim Fetteroff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Does uh, is Bruce Chen bad enough to be a bad Royal, or because I think he started no. opening day one year, so I don't know if he counts. But he was pretty. He was pretty likable. Bruce Chen stole and, my fry and then, he, and then he led your Dono Ventura astray. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> you want to tell that story real quick? Uh, I. In case anyone doesn't don't know. know that I know remember enough of it to call it a story, but basically he and he and your Dono Ventura went to a strip club and and then 
he he took your Dono Ventura to a strip club, <laughs> and then they both bailed without tipping anybody. <laughs> In Minneapolis, too, I believe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, they could have benefited from Dayton Moore's anti-porn uh, <laughs> seminar. They did not. Uh, I don't know if that was implemented back then. They could. They sh- they probably should have had it back then, and could have could have saved those guys some money, I guess. But anyway, oh, we got we got a couple more weeks of fake baseball left, and then uh, what? Opening days and what two weeks from this Thursday? So, uh, you know, we'll, maybe the Royals have a couple more signings, and then we'll have to see. But I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about then. And uh, until then, uh, you know, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Matthew, you want to tell everyone where we can find you on the twit the Twitter? Sure, you can find me at uh, Lamar underscore Matt. Hocus, where can we find your wise uh, tweets? Uh, you can find me at. H O K I U S Hokaius. Is it Hokaius? Because I've been saying Hokius this entire podcast, yeah. and you didn't correct me. Uh, no, I, nobody, I, nobody but me ever says it right. I so. think we actually talked about this on a podcast, an early episode, and I completely forgot, and you didn't correct me. It's okay. I I just get tired of correcting. <laughs> I, I, literally, no one pronounces it the same the same way I do, but it's my word. So, well, at least it's your it's your, it's your handle and not your last name. Like I've gotten right. a lot of really bad pronunciations of. My oh, name, I can only imagine. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, Patrick, we're, we know you can find your uh, your articles both at our site and at Royals Farm Report. But if they want to follow you on Twitter, where can people find you? Yes, um, at Painting Corner. What's the story behind that one? A couple years ago, when I started getting into writing, uh, I had an old blog that was basically around close to that name. So that's why I was creating my Twitter around the same time. So I figured I'd just create the handle the same as the blog. And has it stuck since then? Is it a reference to painting the corner of the black of the of home? Yeah, yeah, like pitching. I got you. Nice. Okay, cool. Well, I want to thank all of our guests for joining us today, and uh, we hope Sean Newkirk did well in his class classes tonight, and he can rejoin us and host uh, our next episode of Royals Review Radio. And I believe what he says every night, every episode to close is, "Have many good days." So we'll talk to you next time. Thanks.